Last week, if you were with us, Brian Legg started us off by talking about Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd sacrifices their lives for their sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. Jesus is our guide. And He is our provider and our protector from the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And if you were not here last week, I just want to encourage you, go to our website, download the message, or get it on a podcast and listen to the message because you really want to hear what Brian had to say last week, and it'll keep you kind of on the same page as we move forward in the series. Today we're going to be talking about another I Am statement that Jesus makes, and it's in John 8, and if you have a Bible app on your phone or your iPad, or if you're like me and you like to actually use the actual Bible, go ahead and open up to that, open up to John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 12. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The light that leads to life. See, if you follow Jesus, you will never have to walk in the dark, which is a good thing because the darkness is kind of a scary place. How many of you as a kid were afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. Come on, that's it? Am I the only one who was afraid of the dark? When I was a kid, I remember as a kid, I was scared of the dark. I couldn't sleep in my bedroom without a light on. Either I had to have a night light or the hall light had to be open with the door open. Because when it was all dark, when it was complete darkness, well then you know how your mind starts to play tricks on you. And you start to see things in the shadow that aren't really there. And as, I, as a kid, I just knew the boogeyman who was waiting there in the shadows, just waiting for me to get out of bed so that he could grab a hold of you. How many of you as adults are still scared of the dark? See, I don't think we completely outgrow that fear of darkness. Have you ever been in a place as an adult where it was completely dark? And when I mean dark, I mean completely dark. There's no light whatsoever. And you start to freak out a little bit. Have you ever been there? I mean, you're not panicked. You're not in a panic mode. But you start to freak out a little bit because it's dark. And you know if you don't get some light really soon, you are going to start to panic. Have you ever been in that place before? I used to go squirrel hunting when I was uh, younger and I had a whole bunch more time to do so. But I remember one time I went hunting with my friend and we went on his property. And I didn't know the property real well, but he knew the property real well. So we got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and headed off into the woods to find a place to sit before before the sun came up. And the reason you do that is you want to be in place before the squirrels wake up. And so we head off into the woods with one flashlight. And he sits me down by this group of trees, and he's going to go walk about a half a mile down to another group of hickory trees, and he takes off with the only flashlight. He's the only one that has a flashlight. So here I am sitting in this forest alone. There's no moon out. You can't see the stars because you're in the forest, so it's really dark. I mean, it's really dark. I mean, I can only see about a foot in front of me. And then I start to hear things in the woods, unfamiliar sounds. And you know when you get that feeling that something's right behind you and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Well, I started to get that feeling and I started to freak out. And here I am, 24 years old, scared like a little child, waiting for Bigfoot to jump out of the bushes and grab me. See, the darkness can be a very scary place sometimes. But the darkness, the darkness in the world we live in right now is so much scarier than 
the frightened imaginations of our youth. See, we've grown up and we've gotten out of that sheltered life that we've lived under our parents. And then we look around at the world and we see real evil. Because there's real evil in this world. We see such senseless suffering in the world. And it doesn't, it doesn't take long to find it. I mean, just look at the news. Look at the news in our world and you see things like genocide. Do you, do you realize that genocide happens now, today, in our world? That they are wiping out thousands and thousands and thousands of people. That rape of hundreds of women are happening in our world. Kidnappings and beheadings and sex trafficking and all the things that ISIS are doing and and the list just goes on and on. There's evil in our world. And we're not immune to it here in America. I mean, look at our news in America and we have school shootings and gang violence and hate crimes and child abuse and I mean, even here in Tampa just recently a father throws his five-year-old daughter off the Skyway Bridge. How crazy is that? Millions of people in our country, billions of people around the world are living in a world full of darkness. See, people are living lives contrary to the light that God brings in this world. See, they feel like there's nothing wrong with murder and hatred and prejudice. They don't think there's anything wrong with planting bombs or shooting people or selling children as sex slaves. But that's the world we live in. Now we're usually, we usually don't take a part of those kind of things as Christians, but to be honest, us as so-called Christians, we kind of live in the shadows a lot as well. I mean, things like Fifty Shades of Grey and pornography and affair and sex before marriage and drunkenness, gossip, jealousy, lying on our taxes, cheating our employers out of time, fits of rage and anger, all of these things, all of these things have made their way into the American Christian life. And Paul says, Paul says those who practice those things will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. So why do we why do we love the dark? Why as mankind do we love the darkness so much? Because we spend a lot of time in it. Jesus says that we love the darkness because our actions are evil. He says we love the darkness because our actions are evil and we don't want to be exposed. We don't want our actions to be exposed. Look at John 3 with me real quick. It says this, it says God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light, and they refuse, they refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right came to the light so that others could see that they're doing what God wants them to do. See, that's what sin does to us. Sin causes us to hide in darkness. Just like Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, they hid. And we hide because when our sin is exposed, it shames us. And we feel guilt. And we hide because we're afraid. We're afraid if they were, that we're exposed that we won't be loved by God. And that we won't be accepted by God. And that we won't be accepted by others. That we'll be judged 
by others. But if we look deep down inside of us, deep down in that sin and that darkness that we have, if we look deep down, we know that we need help, that we need to be rescued from it. But we're afraid. We're afraid to step into the light. And sometimes we don't step into the light simply because we just love our sin. We love it. We hold on to it. We don't want to let it go. The problem is the more that we hold on to that sin, the more darkness that we're in. And the longer that we stay in that darkness, the more disoriented we become. And then we get confused. And we get things backwards. And instead of running to the light, we run to the darkness. And the problem is is that when you're in the dark, it's hard to tell right from wrong. Because you get confused. You don't know what good from evil is. And we begin to justify our sin. And we justify our actions. And we say things like, I've got it under control. Don't worry about it, I've got it under control. Or we say things like, it really isn't that bad. What I'm doing is not that bad. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. I mean, when did things like living together and having sex before marriage become normal? When did that become normal? Because God says it's wrong. It's as wrong as murder is wrong. But yet we do it. And we justify it by saying that everybody else does it. We know that that emotional affair that we're having is wrong. But yet we justify it by saying, oh, I'm just flirting. It's just innocent flirting. Or I'm just connecting with an old friend on Facebook. But the truth is, we're lusting for somebody other than our spouse. See, we know that blowing up at our kids and our, and our spouse, that's not how God wants us to interact with our family. But we justify it by saying, oh, I've got it under control. It's not going to happen again. But it does. Time and time and time again, it happens. Because we, we don't want to admit that we really have an anger problem. See, Isaiah 5.20 says this. It says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. See, when we hold on to that sin, when we stay in that darkness too long, we get confused about what's right and wrong. And we get trapped. We're trapped in darkness. And we see the destruction that it causes in our lives. And instead of heading for that light, we stay in the darkness. And we continue to suffer. But see, the thing is, we don't have to stay in the darkness. We don't have to stay in the darkness because Jesus offers a way for us to be free from all of that. He said, I am the light of this world. And if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. That's a big statement that Jesus makes. It's a big, big statement when he makes it. I want to give you a little bit of context so you can really understand what Jesus is saying when he says this statement because it's pretty amazing. See, Jesus spoke these words at a very special moment in the life of the Jewish people. You see, for seven days each year, the Jews celebrated a feast of tabernacles. And what God had did, God commanded them to have this feast each year to help them to remember the 40 years that their ancestors had wandered in the wilderness before he finally brought them into the promised land. 
Now, there were two things that were special about the way the Jews celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles. One, it was this, is that for seven days, the whole nation of Israel moved outside of their homes and they made booths or or tents out of branches and leaves. And they lived in those booths or tents for seven days to remind themselves of the hardship that their ancestors had undergone while living in tents during the 40 years in the wilderness. The second thing that they did was that on the opening night of the celebration, they would take a giant menorah that was, had a big bowl full of oil, and that was set up on the temple grounds in the court of women. And then with great pomp and ceremony, these bowls of oil, they were set afire. Let me show you a picture of it. So that's the... So right... Um, whoops, I'm going the wrong way. So right there, this is the court of women. And these giant menorahs on both sides were set afire. And Jesus at the time, was te- was, he was teaching right here in the temple treasury. And what the, the ancient accounts say was the light from these menorahs was so bright that it lit up the whole streets of Jerusalem. And it was to remind them, the reason they did this was to remind them that God had led their ancestors during their wanderings in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And in John, it says that Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles and that he was speaking to the people in that treasury area. And most scholars suggest that when, when Jesus said these words, that he timed them to the lighting of that menorah so that it's completely dark in the temple. And then they light the menorah, and that's when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And see, this is a big deal. Because Jesus is basically equating himself with that pillar of fire. He's saying, I am the light of God. I am the Shekinah glory. I am God. And I'm the one that will lead you to the promised land. And I am the one who will lead you out of darkness. Have you ever been in your home when it was completely dark and you're stumbling around to try to find a light switch? You ever been there? Well, for the past few weeks... Our, the lights here in the auditorium, we haven't had a wall switch. We've had to a, had a switch them out. So you couldn't turn the lights on by the wall switch. The only way to turn the lights on in the auditorium is to actually walk up into the sound booth, boot the computer up and get the light program running, and then use the light program to turn the lights on. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had to get something out of the green room. And so I didn't come in and go up and boot up the computer because I'm stupid like that. I just decided I was just going to try to walk from the door to the green room, and I couldn't see anything. When you turn the lights off in here and there's no lights, it's really, really dark. So it was really hard for me to get to the green room. I kept bumping into chair after chair after chair after chair. And I finally get over to the green room, and I open the door, and I turn the light on in the green room. And I can see the whole auditorium now. And you wouldn't think that just a little small light from that room would light up this whole auditorium, but it did. I could see everything because of that one little light. And that's because one little light in darkness changes everything. One little light in darkness can change everything. Psalms 119 says this. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And see, that's what God's word does for us. That's what God's word does for our lives. It shows us the right path 
that we're supposed to walk. And it brings light into our darkness, and it leads to the light of Jesus Christ, which is salvation. See, I was studying this week, and I came, on this, came upon this real interesting story about light and darkness. Southeastern uh, Church, Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, they are one of the biggest churches. They're probably the biggest church in America. And they have this huge sanctuary. Here's a picture of their sanctuary. I mean, it's humongous. It's gigantic. And every once in a while, they get a little bird that gets trapped in the sanctuary. Now, this bird doesn't want to be there, but he's trapped. He, he can't find a way out. And now, the people of Southeast don't want him there either because he can be really messy and disruptive in worship. So you know how they get the bird out? They don't use poison bird seed, and they don't get a BB gun and shoot him. They want to get him out alive. The, their goal is to to uh, rescue him, not, not destroy him. You know how they get him out? The solution's really, really simple. What they do is they take that auditorium and they make it completely dark. No lights on whatsoever. And then they take an exit way that exits to the outside and they make that light really bright. And the bird instinctively goes to the light every single time. He instinctively goes to the light. And see, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. Just like for the bird, Jesus is the light that leads to life. See, we're trapped in darkness. We're trapped in the darkness of sin, but Jesus came. He came as the mighty God to illuminate the way to salvation for us. Because that's what he does. And I want to share with you a story that shows a picture of this. And it just happens to be right before this verse in John chapter 8. And, where, and, the, and the setting is Jesus is he's coming back from the Mount of Olives. And he's at the temple. And a crowd gathers around him again. And he sits down to teach them. And as he's speaking, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, they bring a woman to him who's been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. And they say to Jesus, they say, Teacher, this woman has caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? Now purely from a legal standpoint, these men were correct. The law was really clear. If you're caught in adultery, you deserve to die. So from a legal standpoint, they were right. But see, it was clear that the Pharisees weren't about justice here. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. Because by its very nature, adultery requires two people. Yet the Pharisees were only accusing this woman. Where was the man at? See, they caught her in the very act. They apprehend her in the very act. So the man was obviously there when they pulled her out. But they don't bring him in front of Jesus. They only bring the woman in front of Jesus. And for her, for her, her sin is exposed for the whole world to see. See, the NIV says that she, was that she was caught in the very act of adultery. So it's very likely that she wasn't even clothed when they dragged her out. Maybe she was able to grab a sheet, I don't know. But they drag her out in public to humiliate her. And without a shadow of a doubt, this is the darkest, most shame-filled, humiliating moment of her entire life because everything is exposed. 
And they asked Jesus, should we stone her like the law says? Because they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So here's Jesus and this sinful woman who's caught in adultery, and they're left there. And Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? Has nobody condemned you? And broken and shamed, in the darkest moment of her life, she says, no, Lord. No, nobody's condemned me. And then Jesus looks at this broken woman, and he speaks the most grace-filled, love-laced words. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus literally becomes light in the darkness and shame that is this woman's life. And instead of condemnation, and instead of rejection, instead of giving her what she deserved, he shows her immense love, and he offers her grace and hope and freedom from the darkness. See, some of you might have walked in here today with a little bit of darkness in your life, maybe a little bit of shame and agony, over what you did or who you think you are. And I want you to know this. And you need to know this. If you follow Jesus Christ, you don't have to walk in that darkness. You don't have to walk in that darkness anymore. See, when you're in Christ Jesus, you need to know that there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Paul says in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His grace changes everything in our lives. You are not what you did. You are not what they say you are. You are who God says you are. And because of His grace, because of His grace, if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation whatsoever. See, there is no reason... No reason whatsoever for you to stay in the darkness anymore. You know, we often talk about our struggles as pastors. We talk about our struggles from this stage. And there's a reason that we do that. It's to show you that we're people just like you. We're people that struggle to make it through life. We're people that struggle not to sin. We're people that struggle to stay in the light just like you do. It's to let you know that we're all broken because we are. We are all broken, every one of us. And we're only held together by the grace of God. But there's another reason we tell you. And it's to show you that there is no condemnation here. See, we try to make, it, we, we try to make sure that you understand that no matter what you're going through, you're not going to be judged. There is no condemnation here at TBA. Because we know the only way to be free from sin, the only way to be free from the sin that burdens us down, the only way that we can change, the only way that we can be what Christ wants us to be is to walk out of darkness into the light. 
And that's scary at times, but that's the only way. That's the only way to receive healing. You see, the enemy wants you to think that you're alone, that you're unworthy, that you're unlovable. That's what he does. Revelations calls him the accuser, and he goes around accusing us, and he says things to us like, God can never love you after what you've done. You can never have a good marriage after what you've done. Your kids will never respect you again after what you've done. You've crossed the line too many times. There is no hope. There is no going back. There is no healing. But Jesus says, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? I'll send them away. Neither do I condemn you. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to close with this. Because I don't know where you're at in life right now. But I do know this. In a room this size, there are some of you carrying some heavy things right now. And some of you have been walking in darkness for a long time. Some of you have some serious issues in your marriage right now. Some of you may even be involved in an affair right now. I want you to know you don't have to stay there. You can walk out of that right now, today. You can walk out of that darkness. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is freedom in Jesus. There is healing in Jesus. Your marriage can be saved. It can be restored. But you've got to walk out of darkness and you have to walk into the light. Some of you may be struggling with sexual sin. You're looking at things on the internet you know you shouldn't be looking at. And you're carrying immense shame and guilt because of it. Or some of you are having sex before marriage and you know it's wrong. You know it is. But that temptation of it keeps pulling you back in. You're only going to be free of those things if you come out of the darkness and you walk into the light. For some of you, it's you're just living a double life. So you act like the Christian here on Sundays, but the rest of your life shows no evidence of Jesus Christ in your life whatsoever. And that's because you haven't given control of your entire life to God. See, you're still making your own decisions about what's right and what's wrong. And when you stay in that darkness, you get confused. And you don't know right from wrong. And you need to allow Christ to be the light in your life and let Him be the Lord of your life and let Him make the decisions for what you should be doing. For some of you, you may have never taken that first step into the light and allowed Jesus to be the light in your life. I want you to know you can do that here today. You can do that right now. See, God made a way for you to be free from your darkness, free from the penalty of sin. Because just like that woman who's caught in adultery, your sin deserves the punishment of death. It does. But because Jesus took that penalty upon himself and he died on a cross in your place, you have the opportunity to have freedom from that punishment. By his grace, God offers salvation freely. All you have to do is take those steps into the light and accept his invitation. You can pray a simple prayer right there in your seat. It says, God, I know I'm a sinner. I no longer want to walk this path of darkness. God, forgive me of my sin. Bring light into my life and allow Jesus to lead me from this point on. It's as simple as that. And if that's where you are right now, I would ask you when the band plays, come up here and let me pray for you.
Because I want to help you on this new journey of following Christ. Again, this place is a safe place. There is no condemnation here. And the invitation is the same for the rest of you. If you need to come forward and pray here at the stage, or maybe you need to pray with me over here, I'm going to be here when the band plays I want you to come because healing happens when we take those first steps. It only happens when we take those steps. But it does require you to take those steps. And you need to know this. You need to know that if you do not come to God, that God loves you so much that He may allow the darkness around you to increase so that His light looks so much brighter. Listen to what I'm saying. If you don't come to God, He loves you so much that He's going to allow your darkness to increase, to get worse, so that His light is brighter. So my prayer for you is that you will no longer wait in darkness, but you will come into the loving arms of a Savior who brings light to the entire world. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you've sent light into this world. That you sent your son Jesus to be light in our darkness, God. And that God, while we were still sinners, while we were still in that darkness, you loved us enough to send your son to die for us in our place. God, my prayer is that we would accept the light that is Jesus Christ. That we would have the strength to walk from darkness into light. God, work on our hearts today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.